Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. ...campaign called God Speaks. His desire was to reach people who had drifted away from the faith, and the campaign created actually such a positive response that the uh, Outdoor Advertising Association of America picked it as its public service campaign for the year and began to run ads on 10,000 billboards uh, in 200 cities here in the U.S. You may have even seen them. They were black billboards with white lettering, just simple white lettering. And here are some of the sayings they used, and it was as if God was speaking. Wherever you go, there I am. Another one said, that love thy neighbor thing, I meant it. Another one said, keep using my name in vain and I'll make rush hour longer. And then one final one said, don't make me come down there. And I said, well, it's too late. He already came down in Bethlehem. I know what they were intending by saying that, but I'm glad he came. Glad he came down, aren't you? Okay, uh, let's stand together and read a text here, and we're going to share three points, and then we're going to come around the Lord's table for communion. And then, as you leave, be sure and give if you can, uh, and then make your way out to the live nativity. Uh, They're back there getting ready now, and that'll be uh, kicking off at 7 o'clock from 7 to 9 this evening. And so please, before you leave, why don't you just go by out there and be reminded, amen, of perhaps what what it was like on that first Christmas evening. All right, Matthew chapter 2. One of the more conventional passages for this time of year, Matthew chapter 2 and 1 through 12, gives us the story. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there, were, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come down to, wor- or come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, notice what he said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and what? Worship him also. 
When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And they saw the star. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. God bless you. You can be seated. I'm just going to call this the Christmas contrast because the authentic Christmas story is filled with multiple contrasts. We obviously know basically that the biblical story is about Christ, about Mary, Joseph, some shepherds, some wise men, and then somehow Santa and his reindeer got thrown into the mix. Amen. That's a big, a big, 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 big contrast. I'm looking at this and I'm like, how did that happen? So now our culture tells us Christmas is about Santa giving gifts to everyone who's been good. But Scripture tells us Christmas is about Christ giving the gift of redemption to everyone that realizes how bad they've been. Very contrasting message. So I'd like to look at a few contrasts in the Christmas story. But we're going to just look at the ones that pertain to worship in the Christmas story. Because the Gospel of Matthew's Christmas contrasts teach us that true worship looks a certain way. Not just on the night that Christ was born, but even in our lives today. So I'd like to frame this topic by saying if... If and when, for example, if you were to sell your home, one of the first things you do is hire an appraisal or an appraiser. And they come and they, they help you determine the value of your home. Additionally, if you're going to sell your car, it's a good idea to consult what's called Kelly's Blue Book, Right? just helps you determine your vehicle's value. Tonight, God invites us to appraise his son. He invites us to set a value on him. When you say, well, how do we do that? We do that by our worship. Amen? Amen? Our worship reveals the value we have placed on Christ, and the way we worship Christ reveals the gratitude we have in our hearts toward this gift that's been given to us. And if our appraisal of Christ is low, how many know our worship is going to be low and cold? But if our appraisal of Christ is high, 
then our, our worship is going to be high. It's going to be passionate. So the Christmas story shows us three different ways to worship. I think this is not only informative, it's instructive. So here in Matthew 2, we meet three different worshipers. The three characters are the wise men, the religious leaders, and then we got old King Herod. So we're going to look at the wise men first because they show us true worship. Then we're going to look, number two, at the religious leaders. They show us empty worship. And then finally, we're going to look at King Herod because he shows us self-worship. Does that make sense? I hope it will when we get done. So let's start number one. The wise men show us true worship. We're told here that the wise men came from the east. Everybody say east. And that was most likely Babylon. They traveled all the way to Jerusalem. That alone tells us a lot about their worship. They were genuine worshipers because travel from Babylon to Jerusalem involved a lot of sacrifice. It was a long trip. Google Maps says the distance from Babylon to Jerusalem today is 679 miles as the crow flies. It's farther on foot. And because it was so far and took so long, contrary to our nativity scenes and manger scenes, they were not present at that stable, okay? Their visit actually took place months later. And the reason I point this out is because it teaches us about the nature of true worship. It took the wise men a long time to travel from Babylon to Jerusalem after they saw the star on the night of Christ's birth. The trip was 680 plus miles without a car, without a bus, without a plane ticket. Okay, it's hard for us to process that what travel was like in those days. I mean, there was no interstates, no Starbucks, no Dunkin' Donuts at the rest stop. No buckies for the Texas folks. They didn't drive an SUV with mud tires or snow tires. They didn't ride in a luxury car, air ride suspension. No, they were traveling most likely in a Camelac or horseback. They couldn't travel at night. They would go up mountains, down valleys, wade rivers, trudge across deserts. Questions, why, why did these guys take months out of their lives to endure this travel nightmare? Here's the answer. Because to them, worshiping Jesus was worth the sacrifice. Hallelujah. The value we place on Christ is shown by the amount of inconvenience we are willing to endure to worship Him. What an appropriate message for our present generation. The message of the wise men is that true worship often entails sacrifice. 
and the Magi inform us that the genuineness of, of our worship is seen by how much we're willing to sacrifice for it. The harder it is to worship and the more we have to sacrifice for that worship, the more genuine our worship to Christ becomes. One more thing here about these guys is they were from Persia. These were highly educated individuals, quite sophisticated. I can hardly say that word. They were experts in subjects like medicine, science, astrology. These guys were not just, just the down and outers of the Persian society. They were the movers and the shakers. Okay? Even though they were powerful people, worshiping Christ was important enough that they were willing to take almost a year out of their busy lives to come and worship. Praise God. I think there's a message in there somewhere for us. Right? Because today, the higher up the social ladder we go, the harder it is for us to take time to truly worship Him. Oftentimes, when we climb the social ladder, we become less willing to sacrifice. We struggle to find time to worship because we're busy with everything else. But these guys left the comfort of their homes to travel dusty roads. These wise men were willing to sacrifice financially to give valuable gifts to Christ. Why did they do it? Because Jesus was important. Jesus was important to them. They had no problem making the sacrifice to worship the Lord. The sacrifice of worship was a sacrifice they wanted to make. It wasn't a sacrifice they felt manipulated into. Nobody made them take this trip. So they remind us how we value Christ shows up and what we're willing to sacrifice for him. Secondly, Let's take a look at these religious guys, the religious leaders, and how they show us not true worship, but the religious leaders show us empty worship. Everybody say empty. When the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, they asked Herod where they could find the Christ child, the newborn king of the Jews. Herod immediately assembled these religious leaders. These were the men with a good biblical education. They had big libraries and big brains. Their brains were so big, these guys looked like lollipops on a stick. When Herod asked them what the scripture said about the details of Christ's birth, these scholars answered right away. They quoted Micah 5 and 2. It was the prophecy written 700 years previously. It said the true uh, king of Israel, the one who was fully man, fully God, the one who was coming to save the nation of Israel would be born in Bethlehem. Now here is where it gets amazing. Bethlehem is only five miles from Jerusalem. Basically, Bethlehem is a small town, so small if you blink you miss it. These prophecy experts who had lots of Bible knowledge, okay, knew exactly where Christ would be born, yet they were not willing to take a little time and a little effort to travel just five miles to meet and greet and worship the newborn king. The wise men who didn't know much about the Bible were willing to travel 680 miles to worship Christ. These religious leaders knew their Bibles inside and out, but they were not willing to be inconvenienced 
even five miles. A simple five-mile trip was too much of an inconvenience to go and worship the Savior of the world. What does that contrast reveal? Well, it reveals how much people are willing to sacrifice to worship and how much gratitude they have in their hearts toward the Lord. What was wrong with these religious leaders, you asked? The religious leaders were more in love with their information than they were with the Savior of the information. See, here's the point. How many know we can know our Bibles, right? But that doesn't really mean we love Jesus. There's a big difference between what we know about God in our heads and how we feel about him in our hearts. And these wise men who didn't know much Bible information had more love and gratitude for Christ than the brilliant Bible teachers who had all the answers. This becomes a problem for those of us that are accustomed to church and, and we easily can fall into this same trap because it's easy for us in our heads to overflow with knowledge of Christ but to have our hearts empty when it comes to love for Christ. If we're not willing to be inconvenienced when it comes to our worship, our heads may be full but I guarantee that our love and gratitude for Christ may be missing. We can be more concerned about being inconvenienced in worship than a Adoring our Savior. All right? So the religious leaders show us empty worship. The wise men show us true authentic worship. Finally, here we go. Final point. Herod shows us self-worship. Now look here. Herod said he wanted to find Christ so that he could what? Worship him. In reality, how many know he didn't want to worship Christ? He wanted to eliminate Christ. Huh? Because the only one Herod worshipped was himself. Herod was known as the king of the Jews. And when he heard a new king of the Jews was being born, he pretended to be interested in Worshipping so he could eliminate the other king. Herod's heart said, there's only room for one king in my life, and that is me. How many know some folks today live that way? They claim they want to worship Christ, but the only person they have room for in their hearts is themselves. We can recognize someone Worshiping themselves instead of Christ when we look at the sacrifice they're willing to make to be able to worship. And if they claim they want to worship but are not willing to make the sacrifice, chances are they're worshiping themselves instead of Christ. I want to worship Him. So, in closing, as Sister Jones comes, when it comes to these three characters in the Christmas story, I want us to ask ourselves tonight, which ones are we? Are we like Herod? Do we say we want to worship that there's only enough room in our heart for ourselves, not Christ? If so, may we ask for forgiveness and say, Lord, I want you to be the center of my life. Every heart has a throne. 
And I want Jesus on my throne in my heart. This Christmas, let's receive the greatest gift of all. Love, forgiveness, new life. And all of those virtues come when we worship Him over ourselves. Next, are we like Herod? Next, are we like the religious leaders? Do we have all the Bible information about Christ, but our heart is empty when it comes to love for Him? Do we find ourselves turning away from worship because, oh, five miles is just too far? Listen, if that's us, may we confess and say, Lord, my head is full, but I want my heart to be full. I want my heart to be full of love for you. And finally, are we like the wise men? Somebody say, yes, that's me. We may not know all the Bible knowledge and information about Christ, but oh, we love him. Amen. Hallelujah. I said, oh, we love him. And if we have to sacrifice to worship him, count us in. It's okay. I said, that's okay. Because after all He's done for us, after He has forgiven us, saved us, made us a new person, worshiping Him is worth whatever sacrifice we have to endure to express our love to Him. Oh, hallelujah. It doesn't matter if travel is inconvenient. Jesus is worth it. It doesn't matter if worship service goes a little long. Jesus is worth it. It doesn't matter if pastor preaches a little long. Jesus is worth it. Oh, I thought I'd lose you on that one. Thank you, Jesus. As we stand together, the, in just a few days, the tree is going to come down. The holiday decorations will go back down in the basement or up in the attic. December's gifts will become January's payments. And when Christmas goes away, the question of worship will remain. Who will we worship in the future. Will we worship ourselves or will we worship Christ? Are we at the center of our lives or is Christ? He's the one who came to earth to die for us so that we could live. Ushers, would you come? Come and prepare to serve. Tonight, partaking of this Settings of the Lord's table is a proclamation on our part. Tonight, we believe that that babe born in Bethlehem was the same one that went to Calvary. And he fulfilled everything. We do not come to this table of communion because it's popular thing to do. We come because we're showing the anticipation that that same Jesus that was born in Bethlehem and that died on the cross and came out of the grave is going to return someday. Amen. Praise God. Yes. And he said, do this until I return. We are celebrating His first coming tonight, but we are anticipating His second coming. Praise God. 
I invite you to draw near with faith. I invite you to receive the body of Christ which he gave for us, the blood that he shed for us as we partake in remembrance. Hey, he was born to die. So here at Broadway, let me just tell you, we practice open communion. You do not have to be an official member of our church to participate, but I do caution you. You need to be a member of the family of God. As we sing this chorus, what are you what are you playing, Sister Jones? Oh, come, let us adore Him. Would you just make your way to the center aisles? They're standing at the head of those aisles to serve you. If you'd like to participate in communion tonight, just simply make your way to one of the aisles, receive the emblems, stand across this front, just move in as close as you can, as quick as you can. You can go ahead, make your way to the center aisles and begin to come. The Word of God instructs us that every, every individual should examine themselves. We don't want to partake of the body and blood unworthily tonight. This simply means salvation is an important matter. It's a matter in the heart of those who desire communion with God. And as the ushers serve everyone, I want you to hold those emblems until we partake together. And as we do so, we're inviting the presence of Christ. I feel him already, don't you? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing it together. Oh, come let us. Hallelujah. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. For he alone is worthy.
you got overlooked, we did not do it intentionally. If you would like to receive communion and missed it, slip your hand up. We will be sure you get the emblems. Okay. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said these words, For I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which was broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. I want us to take a moment, and I want us to ask God's blessing. I want us to pray and be reminded this, this wafer here this evening represents the body of our Lord that Scripture says was broken. Broken so that we could be whole here tonight. Somebody just reach out to him. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for what you endured for us. Thank you for the stripes on your back. God, we are so undeserving. You deemed us worthy, though, to suffer and to die for us. So, Lord, here tonight is a collective body. We're the body of Christ on earth right now. We just reflect and remember and say thank you. Thank you for what you took. You took our place. You took our beating so that we could live. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the wafer together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The greatest sacrifice ever given. Fulfilling all other sacrifices through the centuries. He was the ultimate Lamb of God. Oh, we thank you for that. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And now you can take the cup. Paul continues to write to the church at Corinth and say, after the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Till he comes. Brother Timothy, would you take a moment? Let's just thank God for the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. You can do it. You can do it, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody say amen to that. Let's take the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anybody thankful for the blood of Jesus that's been applied to the doorposts of your life? Let's just take a few moments here tonight and give him praise. Thank you, Lord. You're worthy. You're worthy. You were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. And Lord, we're here tonight to come around the table and say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We're here to say you're worthy. We're here to draw strength from you and from each other. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We glorify you. We glorify you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Sing it with me. For it reaches to the highest mountain. Yes, it does. And it flows to the lowest valley. Oh, it's the blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose. Thank you, Jesus. One more time. For it reaches to the highest mountain glory. And it flows to the lowest valley. It's the blood that gives me strength from day to day it will never lose its power how many can say amen to that praise God praise God the cup you can deposit it in the receptacles on either side of the sanctuary in the back as you leave. Ushers, would you please meet us in the back? Allow us to give tonight upon our exit. We're giving everything tonight given unless you designate it otherwise as your tithe. Everything else just goes as a love gift to good nights of Lorraine County, all right? Hey, we did it. It's 6.55. It's hard for Pentecostals to get out of service in an hour sometimes. So we really worked on it. Swing by the nativity on your uh, before you leave. Let it bless you as you're reminded, amen, of that first Christmas night. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. May God richly bless you. I see many family members. You came with your family. Thank you for putting us in your schedule as a family activity. May God richly bless you, and may you have a very merry Christmas. Very merry Christmas. For it reaches to the highest mountain, and it flows to the lowest 